With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we are previewing all six wildcard games. Wildcard, everyone. Let's keep our head on a swivel out there. Who knows what's going to happen? Joining me, as always, in this edition of the podcast, none other than PFF Zone, the famed The Rock, Dwayne McFarlane. I kind of messed up your intro that time, Dwayne, but it's a wild card. That's why, man. It's okay, man. It's okay. It's We're a long way in, but yeah, I am <laughs> super excited. We have playoff football. Like, this wow. is just um, like, you know, we love fantasy, but like, this is like the part of the season where we kind of get to be fans again, just of the NFL. And of course, I mean, there's all sorts of contests and ways you can get money on all of these things. But this is kind of like back to its roots. Like before I ever liked fantasy football, I just loved football. Like that's, that led to fantasy football. So yeah, man, I'm super excited about this episode, excited about this weekend. I'm just excited. I'm overall, I'm just excited to be alive and to be in your presence. Great day to be great, Mr. McFarland. Yeah, man, I, I maintain that people like, you know, your pure NFL analysts and fans of the world, I think they'd be a lot less intimidated by fantasy points if we just named it like, I don't know. I wish I showed how to name ready for this. Just named it like ulterior points or something, because all it is is a collection of the stats that everyone already embraces as it is. But once you put fantasy in front of points, people lose their it's damn like, minds. Hey, this is yards and receptions. People are like, all right, let's look at the league leaders and receptions, yards and touchdowns. And then you're like, what about fantasy points? And they're like, yeah. get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like, well, we kind of have an encompassing stat for that already. <laughs> it's called PPR. Get <laughs> me out of here for a second. All these stats you already used. We've got a good method for it. No, you freaking nerd. Go back to your mom's basement. But anyway, all that aside, as always, we're going to go through these matchups. I'm going to focus on the away team. Dwayne has the home team and let's get after it. Saturday afternoon football Raiders at the Bengals since he opened as five and a half point favorites that has gone up to six and a half game total up at 49 after opening at 48 would note that this weather it is going to be cold looking like 29 degrees per Google but just three percent precipitation nine mile per hour wind so not too worried about that and this one with that said Derek Carr fun little stat from PFF's own Austin Gale really has not been at his best in cold weather over the years and I don't want to you know bring out hives of you know quarterback hand size Twitter out here but Really, the stats are pretty alarming. Derek Carr in sub 40 degree weather, 50.1 PFF passing grade, just 5.8 yards per attempt. Over 40 degrees, 83.8 PFF passing grade, 7.1 yards per attempt. So I do think that is potentially more of a factor for Carr than usual. But once again, man, and we talked about this on the podcast. Um, yesterday that we did just talking about some bigger picture topics, but the bigger issue for this offense has just been Derek Carr without Henry Ruggs weeks one through seven, 90.2 PFF passing grade, eight and a half yards per attempt ever since though, just 63.7 PFF passing grade, seven yards per attempt, large reason why he's averaging a full 1.4 fewer yards on his average target depth. So the one good thing with this has been that cars now been peppering Hunter Renfro with targets. I mean, he might not look like a number one wide receiver, but I don't know what else to call him because ever since rugs out of the picture, 
fifth in receptions, 15th in receiving yards, and tied for second with seven receiving touchdowns. I was, you know, put my foam on hat. I put my foam hat on today. Dwayne was going through all this dude's touchdowns from inside. They're all like red zone touchdowns, basically. But my God, like I would love to see, and I guess they kind of used to have this pros versus shows, but like give me a Kyrie, Uncle Drew type reality show where we walk up with Hunter Renfro to like random strangers in a field and we're like, hey, for a thousand dollars, you got to try to cover this dude inside the 10 yard line. And they're going to look at Renfro and be like, oh yeah, sure. I'll take that bet. He looks, yeah, he just looks like me. And then we just watch <laughs> as the ankles get snapped one after another. So Renfro truly just balling out and he needs to be treated as a number one here, even with Darren Waller back in the picture, I believe. So hopefully Waller, you know, is able to provide a nice little jolt to this offense. Didn't exactly look hundred percent in week 18, but you know what? He got nine targets anyway. So Renfro and Waller, but also shouldn't be sleeping on Zay Jones, at least five catches in five straight games. Only guys with longer current streaks cooper cup deontay johnson Devontae adams and amon Ra st brown that's my main overview of the offense i would point out with the Bengals, though looking at their defense specifically their main weakness has literally been getting the running back to the ground they're good at not giving up too many yards before contact but 26 in yards after contact per carry last week josh jacobs gained 130 of his 132 yards after contact I don't think, you know, again, based on this six and a half point spread, we would expect the Bengals maybe get out to a lead, play with some positive game script. If they don't, that could be that could be when we see Josh Jacobs start to really have his way on the ground. But their main strength, and again, this goes wide into it's such a bad matchup because if they are able to play with a positive game script, force Derek Carr to throw the ball more, this is a top 10 defense in Havoc. Thanks in large part to, you know, one of the better offseason additions out there, Trey Hendrickson. This matchup does feature two of only seven defenders with at least 75 pressure this season max crosby number one with 101 pressures which is absolutely bonkers number two aaron donald then rashawn gary miles garrett nick bosa shaquille barrett and trey hendrickson so some truly awesome defensive linemen out there today Dwayne. but crosby he's probably gonna need to have the game of his life here because you know good luck slowing down joe burrow and company the way they've been humming lately yeah for sure and i think the big question like everybody has going into the playoffs is really what version, you know, of the Bengals are we going to see? Are we going to see really more of the slower version willing to run the ball quite a bit and all those sort of things? Or are we going to see what we, what we've seen over the last three weeks, specifically the last two games where really, if you look at the Bengals versus the NFL averages um, passes when trailing 2% above the NFL average over the last three games, pass rate when close. So that's within three points is 67% versus the NFL average of 58%. So that's plus 9%. And then the big one, passing with a lead. So when they're leading by four or more points, 75% of the time they've been throwing in that scenario over the last three games, the NFL average is 50%. So that's a plus 25%. Um, you know, if you look at the Bengals over the season, they look a little more conservative. If you look at the shorter sample size, um, things look really promising. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm looking at this matchup and I'm excited about Joe Burrow. I'm excited about, you know, um, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, all those guys, obviously, but looking at the ranks for the week, I've actually got Burrow too. You know, I've got Tom Brady, number one, this week, I've got Burrow too. Um, you know, you mentioned the implied points, 27.25. You got a total of 49 yet. The spreads only five and a half. So it could be close. So I like Burrow a lot this weekend. So I have him in my tier two of quarterbacks, which is Burrow, Allen, Mahomes, and Murray. So I like all of those guys, but I do have Burrow at the top this week, just based on these recent trends. And just looking at it again, I just think about it. I'm like, how do you know the Bengals really 
push their way through the playoffs and really become a force. I think it's through the passing game, not to say they're not going to use the run, not to say that they don't need some balance, you know, to, to really help with some of the coverage looks that they're going to see. And if you look at the Raiders, you know, they run the most zone coverage in the NFL. Like they are, they are super into zone coverage. They actually use it on 78.1% of their plays. And so when you look at the Bengals and you look at the way they like to distribute the ball, which you see this with a lot of offensive teams, um, whenever they face zone coverage, they like to spread it out a little bit more. So on the season zone targets, 23% target share to Jamar Chase, 16% to, or 20% to T Higgins, 16% to Tyler Boyd, but they also get their backs more involved. So if you look at Joe Mixon targets per route run um, against zone is 16%, only a little more than what he gets against man, which is weird, 15%. But Samaji Piran jumps from 12% to 21%. And just remember, Piran has really had all of that long down and distance, all the two-minute offense. He doesn't really get the touchdowns. That's going to be more, you know, really Mixon. He gets all of that work inside the five. He gets 70 to 80% of the rushing attempts, but we could see Piran get a little bit more involved in the passing game if somebody looking for some kind of sneaky way to spin down and back. I don't even know what P Ryan's at this week. He might still be, you know, too high to even think about that. Um, but just looking at, you know, the way that the Raiders use a lot of zone coverage, I expect to see, you know, the ball spread around across all these guys. What's interesting looking at the slate is now that we're in the playoffs, you know, it's a lot easier, um, you know, whenever we're in the regular season, because there's always these matchups that rise to the top. Well, now you're, you're dealing with a lot of defenses that are, you know, they're pretty good. That's yeah. why they're in the playoffs, right? We don't have a lot of cupcake matches cupcake uh, matchups for our offensive players this week, but I do have Jamar chase and he is my wide receiver two. I have T Higgins at wide receiver seven. Um, they both are really strong this week in the wide receiver cornerback matchup, 83.9 for chase, 85.9 for T Higgins. Stefan Diggs is the highest on the slate or second highest. Your guy Hunter Renfro is first on the slate at 96. My guy. There we go. Yeah. 94.2 <laughs> for Stefan Diggs. And then you've got cup, or, sorry, you've got Chase and Higgins coming in behind that. So they're in a good spot from that perspective. Wide receiver strength of schedule, you know, is only a 3.1, but like, just listen to this, like this week is crazy. Like there's only one team that's above a six and it's the bucks on the wide receiver strength of schedule. So it's just, again, speaking to what gets you and we've and PFFs talked about this for a long time. What matters a lot coverage, <laughs> you know, if you have good coverage that helps you because it is a passing league. And so just looking at those things, you know, probably you're just not going to see some of the huge, you know, things that just pop as far as matchups, but obviously Jamar Chase, T Higgins, you're going to keep them involved. Um, CJ Uzoma, I've got at tight end 12 this week. Do you want me to hit the Raiders ranks since we're on this one just real quick, Ian? Or do you want uh, We'll, we'll kind of save that for a little more for our DFS player prop. Okay, that's cool. Get that's cool. That. You're good. All right. Yeah, just looking so, yeah, more. Yeah, that's pretty much that's it on the Bengals. Well, on Mixon, I do have him at two. Um, it's a 5.9 running back strength of schedule, offensive line run block advantage of 37. Those are both just kind of meh. But really, it's just looking at the touchdown upside, you know, for Mixon. I just like the offense a lot. Um, it's a game where they're favored by five and a half. So, I mean, still going to be competitive. You know, that, that's why I still like the receivers as well. But I just think when you look at over the last, you know, just actually just look at the season, like who on this slate carries more upside than Joe Mixon? I mean, if you had James Conner without Chase Edmonds, you might say that he does. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, like, I think the next closest would probably be uh, – Honestly, Damian Harris would probably be the next. Yeah. If you had to say, hey, which back is going to score two touchdowns this weekend? Like Mixon and Harris are probably sitting at the top of that list. 
I mean, yeah, this is the bottom three defense and fantasy points per game to running backs. And like one thing that we've seen based on those two chiefs explosions, like the Raiders really are reluctant to change what they do based on their opponents. So this could be awfully problematic to your kind of original point in that whole spiel though, please, for the love of God, Zach Taylor, just let Burrow cook. And if not Burrow, just wave him off, man. What's he going to do? Take you out of the game. Like I was watching um, Aaron Rodgers on McAfee and Rodgers out of nowhere brought up the third and nine QB sneak of the giants did. And he was just basically like, yeah, call that in Matt, like call that play in and see how I react. See what happens there. Like that's what yeah, we that need funny. Joe yeah. Burrow to be doing here. Saturday night football Patriots at the bills, Buffalo four point favorites game total opened at 43 and a half. That has moved up a smidge to 44 and a half getting a lot of, you know, kind of chatter on Twitter about like, Oh, you know, this one's going to be eight degrees, but only 4% precipitation, seven mile per hour winds. not nearly as worried about this one as we are about Eagles Buccaneers, which we'll get to in a little bit, but really, First of all, before we get into this, I want to shout out in a bad way, the NBC Sports Boston account. What the hell are you guys trying to do? Like, this is some of the most clickbaity shit I've ever seen. They do a poll yesterday where it goes, if Mac Jones struggles early Saturday night in the frigid Buffalo conditions, should the Patriots let Brian Hoyer play a series or two? Ridiculous question. (laughs) I don't even need to explain why, but just realize this is six weeks after the same damn account sends a tweet titled, who would you rather have Mac Jones or Josh Allen? Can you guys pretend to know even a little bit about football? Like you went to one side where you're now insulting Mac Jones with Brian Hoyer six weeks after you did the exact opposite. So like for one account to be this far off on two tweets about Mac Jones and allegedly be, you know, a Boston media outlet, it's just absolutely ridiculous to me. But all of that aside, let's talk about some Patriots football. So Mac Jones, again, he's been the best rookie quarterback, but we got to keep in mind that's relative to a whole lot of terrible rookie quarterbacks. Just just a 22nd ranked QB and adjusted completion rate on the year, 19th and big time throw rate. He takes what's there, but honestly, I think, you know, this scheme and the pass catchers probably deserve a little bit more credit than they do. We don't, we never had like this big fantasy performer. Jacoby Myers gave us a solid floor more weeks than not, you know, Kendrick Bourne before he turned heel on the fantasy community, he had some top five weeks here and there, but as a whole, man, sixth in PFF receiving grade fourth in yards per outrun, and nobody posted a better overall drop rate than the new England Patriots this year so if anyone is going to get loose against buffalo i do think it's going to be jacoby myers we saw him have a team high eight targets in the last meeting against them six catches of 59 yards it's just tough, man. Buffalo, like they are number one in basically every single pass defense metric you want to bring up. Yeah, not quite as strong without Tredavious White in the fold, but still, man, this has been largely a juggernaut against the pass all year long. I think they've only given up like 12 passing touchdowns like on the season, which is absolutely bonkers in the year 2021. Yeah, 12 passing touchdowns. Only the Bills, Rams, and Patriots have actually allowed uh, fewer touchdowns than they have interceptions on the year. So just a truly special season for this defense. They've been slightly less dominant though two receivers lined up in the slot and this goes back to jacoby myers sixth in yards per attempt two receivers lined out a slot 7.4 yards first at 5.8 yards when they're lined up out wide so i think we do generally see that throughout the league but in buffalo again i do think uh it makes sense and we've seen that come to fruition in the last matchup with myers again getting featured but honestly 
I think the Patriots are going to win and live and die by the ground game. I mean, they were down a good amount. Um, they were trailing for the, I think the majority of that last game against the bills and Damon Harris still finds a way to get 18 carries for three touchdowns. And even if it was like, it was never like they were completely out of the game or anything like that, but either way, this was not like a game where we would expect Harris necessarily get 18 carries in terms of game script. I think it's more of a matchup problem and look no further than two meetings ago when they literally decided like not to throw the ball more than three times on the entire game. So I have a, a fun article up on pff.com that you guys can all check out where I look at every team's, you know, best, every playoff team's remaining best playmaker. And the way I kind of decided this was with a formula playmaker rate. I gave three points for carries of 15 plus yards, receptions of 20 plus yards, six points for a touchdown. I also gave a point for every force missed tackle all divided by touches. And with that in mind, Damon Harris trails only Rashad Penny and James Connor on the season, mainly because of these gaudy rushing touchdown numbers. He had 15 touchdowns this year on the ground just 202 carries going back 30 years man like this is the fourth fewest carries someone has needed to find the end zone 15 times only other guys who do it in fewer carries 2021 james connor also 15 touchdowns on 202 carries 2008 lendale white 15 touchdowns on 200 carries and 2020 alvin kamara 16 rushing touchdowns on 187 carries so this really has been the bill's main weakness on defense they're 16th in missed tackle rate uh 20th in yards after contact allowed per carry 21st in yards after the catch allowed per reception so harris and this offense in general just being physical, man, I do think is their best path to success because, again, this pass defense, first and everything, I don't think Mac Jones has shown us enough to really expect him to put the team on his back in this situation. And, Dwayne, that kind of like takes me to my general feel on the game. Buffalo only sitting as a four-point favorite. Like, I don't really see the Patriots or anyone, for that matter, completely shutting down Josh Allen this offense. So it comes down to can Mac Jones and company keep up? I'm not so sure. So overall thoughts on Josh Allen in an offense that looked worlds better in their last meeting against the Patriots compared to that first windy snowy mess. Yeah. I think you kind of got to throw that one game out, yeah, <laughs> you know, for sure. Um, just th- it, that anybody would have struggled right in that, in that situation. But I mean, if you look at, you know, what, what the Patriots like to do, they like to run a lot of man coverage, right? So, I mean, they're going to have a, Josh Allen's going to have plenty of chances, you know, with Stefan Diggs. And if we look at Stefan Diggs versus the bills, um, you know, if we throw out, well, we can leave that one game in even, you know, you've got week 16, you got seven receptions for 85 yards and a touchdown on 13 targets. You got a uh, week um, 13, which was the win game, which was seven targets, still four receptions, 51 yards. But then you go back to week 16 last year. Um, now, of course, this is with the Patriots, you know, banged up in the secondary, but still 11 targets, nine receptions, 145 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, JC and, Jackson shattering him that game, to be fair. I mean, that was not against right. the Packers. Now, Jackson's gotten better this year. Yeah. But to your point, yes, um, he, it's, he's going to be facing the same guy that's going to be shadowing him now. Um, and then the game before that, eight, eight targets, six receptions, 92 yards. So in all of these games, you know, you're seeing – eight, 11, seven, 13 targets for Stefan Diggs. And that goes hand in hand with what we see from the data. You know, if you look at uh, targets per route run for man for the bills this year, 29% of the time they go to Diggs. The next closest player is actually Gabriel Davis. And he's at 22% targets per route run. If you look at it just from a pure target share standpoint, 32% 
um, target share of two digs on man coverage. And then you got 14% to Knox, you got 13% to Gabriel Davis, 15% uh, to Cole Beasley. Um, so it's going to be a question like, we don't know what's going to happen for sure with this rotation. Ian, we are going to see Emmanuel Sanders back. He had a full uh, practice today. So they expect him to be ready for, to go for the game. Hurting um, themselves I, playing him over Davis at this point, man. I know. I think it's going to be a rotation though. I, I hope it's not Emmanuel Sanders just coming back, you know, and taking over that role. I'm going to still keep um, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, I mean, I'm going to keep, Gabriel Davis above Emmanuel Sanders in my ranks. I just don't think Emmanuel Sanders has much to offer at this point, you know, and that may not be fair. A lot of it may be to do with injury. Some of it's probably to do with age. Um, this is a guy that's really a route technician. You know, he's, he's been a great receiver for a long time. I just, you know, I don't see a way that you can use Sanders this weekend. I mean, unless you're just trying to be completely contrarian, um, but I like Davis. Um, I love Stefan Diggs this weekend. I've got him in my top three receivers. Would it surprise me if he's number one? No, it won't surprise me because again, you heard the numbers I gave you whenever Josh Allen sees that he has single coverage or he has man coverage, he's going to Stefan Diggs. And that's just going to continue because it's just really, it's world two. It's where just two worlds collide. You got what the Patriots like to do is run man and Josh Allen. When he sees that he's going to go to Stefan Diggs um, just because of how good of a route runner he is and how good he is at separating, you know, against that type of coverage. Um, Cole Beasley, I've got a wide receiver 17 this weekend. Um, you know, I'm a little, we talked about it a little bit, you know, yesterday, as far as utilization, we are seeing Isaiah McKenzie a little bit more involved. So that is worrisome, but you know, Beasley's going to be out there. He's going to be involved. He could always come up with an eight, nine catch game. You know, that's always within his wheelhouse and it's a possibility. Um, just looking at, you know, the rest of the matchups for this, you know, Dawson Knox continues to like see elite routes, man. Like his routes are great. He's just not getting the targets he was getting earlier in the season. Having said that though, like that could come back at any time. Like, he's a DFS type, like a tight end, right? It's really more boom bust. I don't necessarily like, you know, the price tag on Knox. We can talk about that more on the DFS show, mm -hmm. but for Knox, I've got him at 11 this week, but just knowing like it could easily come out higher than that. Like we wouldn't be surprised like if he came out as like, you know, number three, but then the main person I really want to talk about, I probably am going to have this, this back ranked higher than probably, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if I would say everybody in the industry. Oh. I know so far it's going to be higher than everybody um, that I've seen on our site. Um, I've got Devin Singletary really as the running back three on the slate. I mean, I'm just fully bought in at this point. And like this guy is an every down back, you know, and if you just, even if you just want to talk fantasy points, you know, cause sometimes people are like, oh, well, utilization could be empty. If you look at the last, um, since week 14, he's giving you 14.9, 16.6, 18.8 last week or week 17, 23. And then last week, a 25.2. So really, and it's no one else, like no one else is involved really at all. Like, it's, it's funny how the, I don't know why this narrative has taken so long, like to catch up, like what kind of role Singletary has, but for whatever reason, like the industry's slow on it. But if you look at the snaps over the last three games, 68%, 80%, 76% rushing attempts, 44%, 58%, 66%. And he's in a route over 60% each of the last three games, 75% in week 17. Like those are just RB1 numbers. And now you've got a, a slate that shrunk down to just these six games. Um, I love Singletary this weekend. So I've got him at running back uh, three, um, despite a tough offensive line run blocking advantage, uh, we would call it a disadvantage in this case, because it's only a 15 um, and then a 5.6 running back strength of schedule. But again, you kind of got to like, you can't worry about those things as much moving forward, just because everybody's so bunched and close together because there's just more good defenses. And to give Singletary like some respect, I know he's been booming up the fantasy ranks because of his newfound volume, but really just in terms of a per touch running back this year, I mean, he finds himself in the top 10 in more metrics than not. You know, I've talked a yeah. lot throughout the year, you know, just 
basic graphs I do yards after contact per attempt and missed tackles force per carry, you know, just on the X and Y axis. And his closest comps in those this year are Andre Stevenson, Aaron Jones, and Melvin Gordon. And you see him really, again, in the top 12 to 15 running backs in those two metrics. Final note, I'm with you on Gabriel Davis over Sanders because let's face it, man, even if Sanders ends up playing more and he gets a target or two more, Davis hasn't needed all that much to get going this year. I mentioned the playmaker rate thing I was looking at. And just if I did my cutoff at 50 touches for everyone. And that made Mike Evans number one. But if you go down to 25, Gabriel Davis was number one among like over 200 players because he had 35 catches this year. 13 of them went for 20 plus yards and he found the end zone six times. Like this dude has been telling touchdown regression to go straight to hell for each of the past two years. Hopefully he keeps on going, stays hot in the playoffs. Last thing on the bills real quick, just Josh Allen. Um, You know, I mean, People are going to play and it doesn't matter, but just remember 17% design rushing attempts. That's the second highest of all the quarterbacks available in the playoffs. So Jalen hurts is first, um, but we obviously know the passing upside that Allen carries is way higher than what we get with Jalen hurts. So even though I'm going to have Allen ranked as my number three QB, obviously he can be number one on any slate and he can totally destroy the reigning, defending, undisputed fantasy QB1 always has that in his repertoire. want to invite all of you, if you are trying to get some skin in the game this week, go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any football team, and you can win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. Again, that's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, just know you must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania, only new customers, only minimum $5 deposit, one dollar wage required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. And also, my goodness, people, right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code FANCY. All the ranks Dwayne is talking about will continue to be updated throughout the playoffs. Go get you that best ball, regular DFS, whatever the hell money you're trying to win fantasy-wise. Also get all the locked, locked article content goodness along the way. And if you're a betting man, betting woman, betting dog, whoever the hell you are, feel free to use our NFL green line up 27 units this season. Again, can't recommend this enough. Dwayne and I have talked about it on this very podcast. It's as easy as going to the site, being told what the best bets are, and then you can make them. Because let's face it, Dwayne is playoff football. I'm probably going to start drinking around noon on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday for the better part of the next three weeks. I'm not so sure by seven o'clock, I'm going to be clear headed enough to make responsible decisions. So instead, I will just go to NFL Green Line and have a computer tell me what to do and hopefully make money doing it. Again, support the pod. Use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. Also want to give a shout out to our friends Friends over at Manscaped, you have a great deal for you all. You can set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. It's New Year, no pubes in 2022 with Manscaped. And finally, everyone, I just want to give a shout out to our friends over at Western Southern, where it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions, and you can do just that by Submitting your questions at westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris because you can ask Chris Collinsworth literally anything. What it's like in the booth with Al Michaels, what it's like talking to Dwayne and I like once or twice a year, what it's like, you know, just being Chris freaking Collinsworth in general. You can do all that at westernsouthern.com slash ask Chris and hear those replies on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram each and every week. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. And remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. 
Sunday football, Eagles at Buccaneers, Tampa Bay, eight and a half point favorites game total down to 46 open to 49 and a half. Why? Because this is the weather game, Dwayne 70 degrees. We all love Florida. I have actively been trying to find just a weekend to go to Florida here recently because I miss the sunshine but 69% precipitation and more importantly, 23 mile per hour winds. Some might say that's underdog weather. At least the Eagles fans have been saying that my mentions ever since I tweeted this out. So got to love it. And I will say, man, like we talk about how it's tough to beat uh, the team twice in one year, obviously Georgia has proved that against Alabama, but I don't think the Buccaneers are even playing the same Eagles team that they took down earlier in this year, because this was about two weeks before that lions game that eventually really saw the Eagles bring out this new run first offense. So the first time they played Hurts through 26 times versus 19 run plays. And then they sputtered next week against the Raiders before again, just kind of revolutionizing their entire offense as a whole this year. Eagles hundred plus rushing yards in the league high 15 games, including the Buccaneers. They did manage to get to hundred. Hopefully miles Sanders will be there to do so. Nick Sirianni did say he's hopeful that Sanders can return to action for those counting 163 touches without a score. Tevin Coleman, the next highest at 95, but you know, Dwayne, I'll be interested to see where you have miles Sanders, assuming He's good to go because yes, we're going to have some Howard. We're going to have some Boston Scott, like last two main starts where he wasn't injured. Miles Sanders couldn't even play 60% of the snaps, but 27 and 20 touches. Like this is an offense that wants to run. The weather's probably going to force them to do so. I know Tampa Bay's run defense is great, but you know, volume is volume, Dwayne. Sanders figures to have a lot of it if he's healthy enough to suit up. Yeah, I've got Sanders sitting right now at RB11, you know, on the slate. Uh, and look, the offensive line run blocking advantage for Philly versus Tampa Bay is 84. That's That's the best on the slate. <laughs> so, you know, the Bucks run defense just isn't as good as what, it, what we had seen earlier in the season, early in the season, like it was a zero on the running back strength of schedule. Now it's a 5.2. So it's got, you know, PFF uses kind of a, a blended approach, like to really, you know, look at what's changed with the defense and how they rank it. So, I mean, they are getting Levante David back, but that's really more of a coverage thing. Um, they do have Vita Vea. We, they were, they were without him for a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see, but we know for, for sure, like the Eagles are going to run, like yeah. that's their path to success is to run. And so the weather does look like it's going to help them a little bit, a little bit. Like I don't have, mine doesn't show quite as bad as yours. Like I'm showing 17 mile per hour wins, 32% precipitation like once the game kicks mm. but like 60 percent leading up so we could have like crazy field conditions to start the game um so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the weather i have to ask uh, ollie to run those numbers again and uh, let me know just how hard it's going to rain on that Did you not get that family guy reference Dwayne? remember it's going to rain ollie <laughs> the weatherman damn you freaking i'm not boomer. a big family you i'm not a big family boomer guy. all right but you, you mentioned levante david uh back in action and yeah i mean it helps the coverage but also just i think based like relative to the rest of this group tackling wise it really is a big gain there as well 14th best linebacker in pff tackling grade he's their only linebacker inside of our top 65 so he has been activated off ir and that's huge because this year that has been this really this defense's only weakness only the lions posted the worst over overall rate of missed tackles 27th in yards after contact per carry. And that's again, if there was a team that might have a chance to pull this upside, or at least make this game a lot harder than you might think. I do think it could be this Eagles because the main strength of the Buccaneers is getting out for that quarterback, creating havoc, just creating negative plays as a whole. They are number one in havoc, which again, pressure interceptions, pass breakups, 
tackles for a loss or no game, forced fumbles, all divided by plays. So, you know, we got Shaq Barrett, 12th highest graded edge defender, Vita Vea, 18th highest graded interior defender. I mean, this is a juggernaut when they're, they're able to play with the lead and get after that quarterback. So make sure you keep an eye on Levante, David, and company. And yeah, just expecting Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders to be the main cogs in this. You know, Dallas Goddard, credit to him on the efficient year. He actually finished as one of only five tight ends to average 0.2 playmaker points per touch. Gronk, Kittle, Everett, Goddard, and Travis Kelsey. But it just comes down to volume because he only had eight or more targets in two games. Devontae Smith, similar problems throughout the year. I mean, Devontae got to face the secondary when it was filled with backups, only had four targets for two catches and 31 yards. So I'll probably just be fading this passing game as a whole. If I am going to dabble, it'd be more with Dallas Goddard. But I just think, again, way too much of a run first offense. And then you put an improved Buccaneers secondary. You have incredible pass rush and the weather into it. I just don't see much way uh, or reason really for Jalen Hurts to have too much control over this passing game in this one. Now, Dwayne, doesn't look like Ronald Jones is going to be there, but we did see Leonard Fournette get activated. I, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this weather plays out, man. I know it's Tom Brady's world and we're all just living in it, but it is a situation where maybe, just maybe, they are forced to rely on the artist known as Lombardi Lenny a little bit more than usual here. All right, I just got done talking to the Eagles. That was actually yesterday because in the middle of the podcast, water started bursting through my uh, office ceiling. So I had to uh, take a short rain delay. That's why I have a different shirt. Now I'm in a different location, but we are back ready to continue. So Dwayne, after that, you know, just short little 16-hour break or so, let's talk some Buccaneers going up against an Eagles defense that, look, we saw them have, you know, enough success getting that early season win against them. But we do know, again, based on just the amount of availability this Buccaneers offense has, not exactly functioning at full strength. Hopefully, the artist known as Lombardi Lenny can change that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Bucks are still remaining like a, I mean, they're still throwing the ball above the NFL average, like in all game scripts, whether they're trailing, you know, they're close or they're leading, but it's not near where they were earlier in the season. And that makes sense, right? I mean, when you lose Chris Godwin, now Antonio Brown is gone. Like, I think you have to kind of tweak what you're doing. They do have multiple tight ends that they can get involved. You got a former first round pick and OJ Howard that you can get on the field. Funny enough, like he's the third guy, right? It's Cameron Brait, really, who comes out there more in the 12 packages, but they do get those guys involved. Um, but as far as, you know, just looking at the Buccaneers, you know, for this specific matchup, you know, against the Eagles, I think, you know, the positive thing we focus on, and we talked about this last week, is just really you have a funnel. And it's all, it's all about Rob Gronkowski. It's all about, you know, Mike Evans. And so now where we used to have four targets that needed to be fed, you know, when you've got everyone healthy, and that was great for Brady, but it made it harder for us, right, to pin down. Basically, you just had to start your guys every week, and you knew, you knew there was a chance one of those was going to be left out even though the Bucks were so you know positive you know as far as scripts and the way they handle passing downs but now I think it's actually from a standpoint of dealing with the weapons you know it's actually better now because you just have these two players so I mean if we look at Mike Evans over the last two games he's had a 15% target share and then a 22% um, a dot you know is not just stretching the field now like using them a little bit more you know in all sorts of routes they kind of all had a not that they didn't all run all sorts of routes before but they also all kind of had their own specific role right you had Chris Godwin Godwin roaming the intermediate area from the slot you had Antonio Brown and underneath for Godwin as well as well then you had Antonio Brown working more intermediate and then you had Mike Evans working deeper right mostly running like goes comebacks things like that not a lot of slants not a lot of under stuff you know for Evans so I think you're seeing 
a widening of the route tree, which is a positive form. I think we're going to get, you know, a 30, 40% target share game in the playoffs for Mike Evans. Like it's yeah. coming. Um, he doesn't look like the same Mike Evans, you know, Ian, that we saw four or five years ago. But for that archetype of receiver, right, a big guy takes a lot of hits, almost more like what a running back takes. Like look at Julio Jones. I know that's not like the perfect you know, archetype fit, but bigger guys, you know, that will take on more, you know, punishment. So, I mean, his efficiency is down a little bit, but man, Mike Evans is a top two option for, you know, the goat. Like, And also just real quick, be- just to be fair to Mike, I mean, he does like him and he actually he plays through injuries, yeah. dude. I see them like actively playing through hamstrings, like no other yeah. player in the league, man. So to his credit, but yeah, man, it's also freaking totally. how old is he now? He'll be 29 next August. It is a young man's game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for receivers, like the cliff starts to come at 29, not the cliff, but the decline, 29, 30, 31. Like, those are the years. It's a little different for every single player. But to your point, like, Mike Evans, major, like, hat tip, you know, to him. Like, he does play through a lot of injuries. You know, not there's a lot of these injuries that, like, look, Kadarius Tony doesn't play through this crap. Like, <laughs> look, we're early on, but Kadarius Tony doesn't play through these types of injuries. Mike Evans is part of what makes him great, you know, to your point. So, right, give the guy his due. Um, but as far as just looking at this game overall, um, I do have Mike Evans, you know, we're going to have to check in on the weather again, Ian. I didn't have a chance to check it again this morning. I was trying to pull it up real quick. I don't know if you can look at it while I'm kind of going through some of these. But before uh, last night, the last time you know I had looked at it, the projected uh, winds were back under 20 mile an hour, which there could be some gusts. But that's the main thing, right? You don't want the 20 mile, 20 plus mile, mile an hour sustained winds. That's really where it becomes problematic for the passing game. And Brady, you know, he doesn't have necessarily the arm strength that he used to have, but he's a pretty adaptable quarterback, right? He can figure things out if he needs to go to the shorter game, things like that. He can, um, but just looking at Evans um, right now, I've got him at wide receiver six on the slate. I've got Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, and Debo Samuel ahead of him. I could move Tyreek down a little bit. I, Evans could sneak above him depending on what else we hear uh, around um, Tyreek Hill's um, hill. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird saying <laughs> Hill's hill. We'll have to see what happens with that, um, you know. But and I don't know how much we're going to really get, right? Andy Reid's probably just going to tell us he's good to go because he doesn't want to give away anything. He wants, you know, Pittsburgh to have to be fully ready for Tyreek Hill. Totally don't blame him on that. But Mike Evans could be in my top five, but for sure inside my top six. He actually has the best wide receiver strength of schedule on the week. It's it's one of the few that's actually above the midway point of a five. Remember, our wide receiver strength of schedule goes from zero to ten, and it is a ten on this slate. And then as Wide receiver cornerback matchup is decent. So I really do love Mike Evans this weekend. As far as Gronkowski goes, similar thing, you know, just looking at the way that, you know, Gronk gets handled. For a period, Gronk was actually the most targeted uh, tight end in football from a targets per route run about five weeks ago. It's come down a little bit, but it's still really strong, 22%. His routes have been at 80%, 87%, 90%. Not that you need another reason to like, you know, a Hall of Famer like Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> but as we've told the folks on the show before, when you reach 80% of the routes and you get over 20% target per route run as a tight end, as long as you're not like in a completely anemic offense, typically that equals like a top five fantasy finish. And we've definitely seen that for Gronk this year. He also has a great matchup against the Eagles linebackers. I'm even more confident, honestly, in that one. Like if you guys have ever watched many of the Eagles games, like games like their linebackers and safeties really struggle in coverage. And so we've got a 10 out of 10 on the tight end strength of schedule for Gronk as well. He's got a 40 tight end matchup. Kind of crazy, Ian. Most of our elite tight ends are in the playoffs. You got Travis Kelsey, yeah. you got George Kittle, you got Gronkowski, you had, you had Mark Andrews just miss. 
Um, Darren Waller, um, you know, they snuck in, obviously got a little bit of help, you know, from, from some other teams. But Even Zach Ertz has been doing some good things this year. Yeah, yeah, Zach Ertz too. Dallas Goddard's here. Dalton Schultz. Like, it's a party. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's our new correlation. You just have to have a good tight end to make the playoffs. <laughs> um, so as far as Gronk, though, I mean, you could – I think you there's an argument for Gronk number one overall this weekend. Um, I'm going Kelsey just because if, if Hill's a little dinged up, I think we could see more of a funnel, you know, to him as well. Um, and Gronk could have the weather, but man, I wouldn't argue with anybody that wanted to put Gronk at the top of the slate and you get a better price tag on him than you do on Kelsey. Although these slates are pretty split up unless you want to play like the Saturday through fr- uh, through Monday, then you can get all six games. Um, as far as Brady, I've got him number one right now, but that could change with the weather. I would be fine moving Burrow and Allen ahead of him, but I did to start the week, have him in a tier of his own. I, I don't typically overreact to weather too much early in the week, but as we get into Friday um, and obviously get towards, you know, kick, that's when I'll make some of the adjustments based on the weather. Friends of the podcast at weather.com predict 70 degrees, 80% chance of rain with winds at 20 to 30 miles per hour, higher wind gusts possible for Sunday. We'll see, Dwayne. Is that just a kick or is that through the game? Because like the models I was looking at yesterday, that was all like pre-kick stuff. And then as it got into the game, like it was a 30% pre-sup, you know, and then the the winds were dying down. But if it's going to be like that in the game, that's definitely problematic. Well, it kicks out 1 p.m. It looks like later in the day it shows out, but even on Google, it's just, it's, you know, it seems okay. like it's going to kind of be throughout the way. And uh, interesting point on the tight ends. I remember seeing, uh, you know, everyone wants to talk about shit when the Super Bowl starts coming around right. and finding the most random storylines that might correlate over like a sample size of four. And the one idea was like, oh, like you don't need to pay a legit number one wide receiver to win a Super Bowl. Just ignoring the fact that the Patriots are winning with the best argument the best tight end ever in Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> the Eagles had a prime Ertz, you know, making play after play after play. George Kittle's there. Like, my goodness, guys. Greg Olson for those Panthers teams. Like, the more, like, I feel like, again, when we just focus too much on the exact positional designation, that's an easy way to make yourself sound like an idiot. So, moving on to a game that has a roof, so we don't have to actually worry about the weather. 49ers at the Cowboys. Dallas sitting as three-point favorites. Game total at 50 and a half. Hey, this 49ers team is scary, man. And, you know, Dwayne, I know you are a Cowboys fan. I do root for them myself. I probably would have preferred if if the goal was for the Cowboys to make it past this round, for them to face the Cardinals, even though the Cardinals took them down the first time. Because just this 49ers offense, man, they can really move the ball however they want. I know it's not pretty with Jimmy G. And we can contextualize that. I mean, he's 30th among 44 quarterbacks in average target depth. But, hey, however they pick up the yards, man, doesn't really matter. They're a top six offense in EPA per pass place, number two in yards per attempt, number five in adjusted completion rate, and number one in explosive pass play rate. That's what really pissed me off uh, last week, Dwayne. Who was it? Barks? I don't want to mess up the guy's name. Was it Schlereth that went on the rant about air yeah, yards? it was Schlereth. You had to listen to the whole thing. He actually I had did. a good point. Well, he... he, he he was, he was complaining because people were wanting to move Aaron Rodgers down just because he had like four low air yard games, which is right. right. Like if a defense goes into the shell and they force you to go underneath, Patrick Mahomes is having to experience the same life right now sometimes. You know, I think it's fine. We shouldn't – but I think your point on Twitter was the biggest takeaway. Like we should never have one stat that we think is just this one all-encompassing yeah. thing that we always lean into. There's context matters, as you guys know. Like you got to really string these things together, which is kind of what we try to do on the show. Sorry, I know this is this is your comment. Not mine, Ian. Go. Oh, you're good, brother. But no, I mean, that's it. Like, okay, I agree with that point. Like, Rogers 
probably shouldn't have, like he shouldn't be dinged because of the air yards, but to dismiss air yards because they don't work in this specific argument for you is ridiculous because again, they just helped show us why Jimmy G isn't a top five quarterback, even though a bunch of other numbers might be saying he is. So that's like the whole thing. And it's air yards, it's yards per attempt, it's QB rating, it's our PFF grades, Dwayne. If someone was like, hey, PFF, you're great on this lineman, freaking sucks like let's look at all these better grades that these other sites have and look at all these other better stats that help show this like i'm so open to that conversation but it's never that conversation no. it's always like no this one, no stat one says sucks. that conversation they just say you suck <laughs> they just say you suck and move on so like and I, I i agree that you know we can all be better too about not hanging our hat on one stat and maybe pff analysts from time to time do lean a little bit too much on one singular grade at the end of the day we're just trying to quantify what we see and if a stat helps us get even a little bit closer to that i do think it's usually a positive so you know stats analytics you know people just want to throw out analytics when they start that's not the funny part is any stat just becomes analytics <laughs> <laughs> we started off this podcast talking about fantasy points and like if we just named them something different i'm sure people would be a lot more uh in line with it but whatever gone with that rant because like when we had two different start starts to this podcast so of course i had to get another rant in now that it's uh thursday morning so back to the topic on hand it truly is just you know these weapons that are making jimmy g as good as he's been debo samuel freaking 77 catches 1405 yards six touchdowns on league high 18.2 yards per catch this year only trail cooper cup in yards per outrun and the man averaged 6.2 yards per carry on 59 rush attempts what an absolute beast but man like again it's all three of these guys i talked about the playmaker rate and everything that went into that Ayuk was number five in just playmaker rate. Debo is number eight. Kittle is number 21. Like all three of these guys are such ballers. And as I'll talk about with Andrew Erickson on our DFS show, I do think George Kittle, this could be a blow up spot for him because we all know he has what it takes on a week to week basis, just needs that volume. And if the Cowboys are able to play with a little bit of a lead, like the spread might suggest, uh, could be a situation where I don't really think anyone can guard George Kittle, let alone this Cowboys defense. So one fun note though about Jimmy G and his turnover worthy plays. Uh, this is actually courtesy of Josh Cohen at J Cohen underscore NFL. And Jimmy G has the seventh worst uh, total number of turnover worthy plays for a while throughout the year. He had the worst rate and four of them are fumbles, but Josh went ahead and charted the remaining 19 dropbacks that we charted as turnover worthy plays. 16 of the 19 issues were the product of an overthrow or missing an underneath robber defender on some type of in breaking route. So it's basically Jimmy G throwing over the middle of the field into the intermediate areas, like the spots that Russell Wilson just Which is really their to throw staple. to. It's their staple yeah. throw. It's Ryan Tannehill's as well. Yeah. And I mean, we, and it's, that's a tough thing with Trey Lance, man. Like you saw, he had that one seam throw to Kittle, that Kittle made the amazing one-handed catch, but like, it wasn't even that, like, what a throw by Trey Lance. It was the fact that, like, I don't think Jimmy G even, like, attempts that throw, like, based on some of the issues he's been kind of having, to your point, with those base throws in the offense. There's some, you know, to keep an eye on out there. If you see Jimmy G struggling, usually throughout the year, it has been missing that robber defender in the middle underneath areas of the field. Moving on quickly to the run game. Shout out to Trent Williams, a PFF. We did our award show for full NFL on Wednesday night, and he won our Offensive Player of the Year and the Dwight Stevenson Award winner, which is basically our best player of the year. Not most valuable, just the best football player in the NFL, and that went to Trent Williams. So if he's able to be out there, man, this is going to be tough for the Cowboys because their main weakness is on defending the run. 
30th in yards before contact allowed per carry, 27th in EPA allowed per run play. They've allowed at least 100 rushing yards in 11 of their final 12 games. And Elijah Mitchell, even though his snaps weren't fully back up to, you know, the 80% threshold we've seen him hit at different points of the year in a week 18, still was getting 20 plus touches, still dominating all the usage. You know, if you want to rank him three, four in your ranks, that's fine. But just realize based on pure volume, it's just going to be impossible to keep this guy outside the top five or six. So with Mitchell this year, shout out 226 touches without a single drop or fumble by far the most in the NFL. So if the Cowboys are going to have success here, I do think it's going to come down to the line of scrimmage I was talking about. Kittle and Ayuk and Debo, all these weapons everywhere. The Cowboys have that just in the form of a pass rush and pure PFF pass rushing grades among everyone with at least 50 pass rush snaps. Michael Parsons, number one. Randy Gregory, number 18. Demarcus Lawrence, number 25. And that really, you know, that's part of the thing with Trayvon Diggs that I don't think enough people talk about. I get it that he takes up he, he gives up a lot of passing yards. We see him jump on double moves. I think a lot of their defense is designed for that, man. Like Richard Sherman uh, for the 49ers kind of talked about this a couple years ago because I think, um, you know, they were showing like, oh, okay, like Justin Jefferson, like double move and leaving him. It wasn't Jefferson at that point. Anyway, it was on that 2019 49ers team. No, but Sherman's point was like, they have that good of a pass rush. So these corners are kind of taught to sit on routes for like two seconds because they know the quarterback has to get the ball out in two seconds. So when you're showing a guy that wins a double move, like, yeah, it's not ideal that the cornerback got beat there. But I think sometimes you could also pin that on the pass rush because, again, the cornerbacks are playing for that ball to be out quick. And that's what the Cowboys do. Only the Bills have allowed a lower passer rating against quarterbacks who are forced to get rid of the ball in two and a half or fewer seconds. So really with the Cowboys, they're going to need the pressure of Jimmy G early and often it's problematic if San Fran can get a lead because again their running game against this Cowboys run defense really is I think the most lethal you know kind of offense defense matchup arguably on the entire slate so we're going to need Parsons and company to really stand up because otherwise this one could be problematic for the Cowboys D and Dwayne again based on everything I said I'm not sure this uh, Cowboys have what it takes to stop the 49ers really in the run or pass game we're going to need Dak and company to put up a lot of points. How confident are you in the good version of Dak showing up here on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it, – honestly, I put it kind of at a coin flip. You know, yeah. just watching them all the time. Like, uh, you know, he hasn't really strung two really good games together in a while. Um, so we'll have to see. It is good you're going to have Tyron Smith back, you know, so because you're going to have to deal with Bosa. Um, so I think that's a positive for the Cowboys. But, I mean, you've really hit it. Like, some things are pretty simple. Like when you look at this, the best way for the for the 49ers to attack, you know, Dallas is through their strength, which is Dallas's weakness. And really, so that's going to put Dallas in a situation where they know that their coaches know what the 49ers game plan is going to be. Like the 49ers don't really hide what their game plan is, right? Do they create wrinkles and schematic things that, you know, kind of build off of each other and they change things up week to week? Yeah, but at the end of the day, like they're using the running game to really drive their passing game, right? And to, and to create these passing lanes through play action, get the ball to their playmakers, all those sort of things. So while the Cowboys can do a good job on the back end, you know, covering folks, and I agree, they've got to come up with a turnover early or they've just got to march straight down the field and score, you know, touchdowns. They've got to play with a lead. And if you look at the way the Cowboys have been playing, you know, over the last several weeks, I will say like, you know, they've had plenty of, you know, they've had plenty of experience having to throw the ball more, you know, with Zeke being hurt, with Tony Pollard then getting the foot injury, um, we've seen since week 12, when trailing by four or more points, they pass the ball 5% more than the NFL average. When they're within three points, they throw the ball 12% 
more within three points. That's crazy. So that's really yeah. high. Leading by four or more points is plus six percent. Um, you know, since week twelve. So we've seen them really make a shift in their offensive philosophy. The good news is, like, if that can be okay, like that works. Even with Gallup gone, you've got two top tier receivers, right? And Amari Cooper and with C D Lamb. You know, maybe Amari's taking a little bit of a step back, but he can still do what he does really well. Like he's still a great route runner. Run after the catch seems to have taken a little bit of a hit over this year. But again, another player. We just talked about Mike Evans. Amari Cooper plays yeah. through a lot of injuries, plays through a lot of he's another one that gets hamstring pulls and things all the time, continues to play through it. Um, um, they really need C.D. Lamb to show up, you know, in this game, in my opinion, Ian. Like, he's got he's to be the big playmaker. Cedric Wilson's going to work inside. But really just looking at Lamb over the course of the season, when you look at the 49ers, they run zone covers the sixth most, most in the NFL. They're one of the few teams that are over 70% of the time they're utilizing zone. And when you look at, you know, Lamb, he's really been the guy against zone. Like, his starters per route run is 22% against zone coverage, whereas Amari's is down at 17%. Those are still pretty close. They're going to both be involved, but they, they need a big game. They need some run-after-the-catch stuff from Lamb um, because where Dak has been struggling some with the throws down the field, especially um, and especially early on in the games. It's like he's kind of got to get into his rhythm and get things going. But as far as just looking at it, um, you know, for fantasy purposes, you know, this weekend and looking at the way these guys fall out, you know, as far as the ranks go, you know, I've got Dak in the top six. Like he could move, he could move up. I'm just... I kind of have him in the middle of the pack just because he's been hit or miss. But the weapons, right. everything is there. The total, uh, the implied points, all those things point to yes. Quarterback strength of schedule is pretty tough, though. And since, and I, kept, I left week 18 out of this because people rested starters and did some different things, even though I know this isn't necessarily the case for the 49ers. Only given up 18.4 points um, over the last six games to opposing quarterbacks. So that's not necessarily great, but it is a small sample size. So Nothing to be over concerned about. Like, look, all of these quarterbacks in the playoffs, you know, besides Ben Roethlisberger, Mac Jones, Derek Carr, Jimmy G, like you could make a case for all the other eight, right, of a path that they could use to get to, you know, really scoring a bunch of fantasy points and being the stack to own in a game. I think as far as the running game goes, though, for Dallas, like I'm completely steering clear of it. Like I've got Zeke at 10 right now, and this this is in a slate that only has, you know, six games. And I've got Zeke at 10, right? He's been down around 20, you know, in the, you know, sometimes even down to like 22, 25, we were at the end of the regular season because he just hasn't been effective Ian. even though he's been, you know, staying out there and he's gotting through a knee injury as well. But let's face it, there were issues before that. His missed tackles force per attempt, uh, only 8% of 0.08 um, yards after contact, 2.73, not bad, but definitely down from some of the highs we've seen Zeke at in previous season. Explosive runs, only 10% of his runs, you know, have been counting as explosive. And over the last few weeks, it's been tough. Uh, 6%, 0%. Pollard's clearly just been the better back, but, you know, he's dealing with his own injury. If you look at his yards after contact, 3.61. Missed tackles forced per attempt, 0.21. Explosive carries, 13%. And that was a lot higher earlier in the year. The Cowboys have also had offensive line um, issues. Um, Pollard, I will say the other thing is, like, he's the guy they like to get involved in the passing game in a little bit of a different way than the way they use Zeke. Zeke's some more swing passes, check downs, things like that. Pollard, they scheme things up more for him. So he could come through. Like if I was to play one of these two backs, it probably would be Pollard just hoping for a big play. I'm not really excited about um, the likelihood of Zeke doing much, especially if this game turns into the type of script that we've been talking about. Um, as far as Dalton Schultz goes, um, with Gallup out again, like he's still fine. Blake Jarwin did come back. Um, this last week, he handled 30% of the routes. But if you go back and you look at, you know, uh, Blake Jarwin, when he was on the field earlier in a similar role and earlier in the season with Schultz, Schultz was still viable. Tight end five, tight end eight, tight end nine, tight end three. 
not as it's not something we like as much, right? We've seen his routes go from 79% to 71% to 63%. Makes him a little more touchdown dependent, big play dependent, um, because he's not on the field. And um, you know, the key is like the more you're on the field, like the big part of it is like when the quarterback's doing checks, changing plays at the line, things that may start off as a run, all of a sudden you get a really good look or a really good matchup. You're just out there for less of those. And as much as we talk about all this data, a lot of this stuff still comes back to matchups. It's a matchups game on the field. That's what the coaches are looking for. And so when you come off the field more, it just it just makes it it just makes him a thinner play. You know, you just don't get that full range of big play outcome or touchdowns just because he's not out there quite as much. And uh, Zeke, I think, is the poster child. Him and Antonio Gibson, honestly, of why, please, people, don't just refer to the season-long rank and not even reference points per game. Sometimes it doesn't matter. They're great in both, and that's fine then. But when we have Zeke, RB7, Antonio Gibson, RB8, okay, that sounds like they were pretty awesome this year. I think we all know they weren't, and we can freaking quantify that by showing that Gibson, RB17 in PPR points per game. Zeke, tie, but my guy, Cordero Yeah, Patterson, the difference between the two guys, though, like, is that Gibson, when he's been given the passing down role and the full down role, despite all the injuries he's battling, like he's pretty much top five back every time he gets that role. Z, oh, sure, we're seeing, for sure. We're yeah. seeing a clear decline. Like even though he's getting those snaps, he's getting the routes, he's getting all that stuff. Even lately, some of the targets, he just, you know, he's just not able to do much. He did finally have a long carry last week against all the yeah. Eagles backups, but like, man, it's just been brutal. In no way was I trying to compare the actual on-field ability of Zeke and Gibson. Just saying these are guys that rank Whatever. really highly pulling, and overall. I'm pulling, I'm pulling a play out of the social game. media playbook here. And that's totally <laughs> what you were saying. Like, you know, you're on the record saying that Antonio Gibson is worse than Zeke. I got it. I'm going to make the most out of my last 20 minutes uh, here on the podcast before I'm fired as I leave this room. <laughs> Sunday Night Football Steelers at the Chiefs. Kansas City, 12.5 point favorites, down slightly from 13.5. As Big Ben said, they're going to lose. Might as well just go out there and have fun. Oh my gosh, underdog story, perhaps. Game total 46 down from 48. Uh, some news that just came across Juju Smith Schuster has returned uh, to practice. Can we quit calling it a season-ending injury then? Season-ending injury should be like the guy's done for the entire season no matter what. So you can just say if he's not going to be back by February, it's over. But we have Juju and J.J. Watt making miraculous recoveries within days of each other. I'm starting to question how much of a miracle the injury recovery was in the first place. But all that aside, keep an eye on Juju. It would be tough to see him coming back from the shoulder injury, maybe to a full roll or at least as full effectiveness. But he would seamlessly replace, obviously, Ray Ray McLeod and three wide receiver sets if healthy enough to suit up. So with Pittsburgh, it was... Like, I think my most alarming takeaway from doing my most complete team article was the fact that Pittsburgh is literally below average in everything. They did not rank better than 19th in anything I did for them. Before you say, Ian, what about TJ Watt? He's fantastic. And TJ Watt is fantastic. But even then, man, this is a group that in terms of pressure, like on the season, they rank 20th in pressure rate. And even when, you know, looking at quick pressure rate, which is when the quarterback is getting rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds, they only rose up to 14th. So that's kind of the argument that a lot of people, including myself, have had for Aaron Donald versus TJ Watt, like sacks in those numbers. I think more times than not, you're better off looking at pressure. Watt had an incredible year. Like this is like the Burrow Herbert arguments that are sweeping Twitter right now. It's annoying that we have to try to put down TJ Watt to put up Aaron Donald, but that kind of is where the you know beginning of that argument comes from. So yeah, with this offense, like you're just praying that Ben can be someone that he's not been all year because all year he has been objectively a terrible quarterback. 40th 
in PFF passing grade among 44 qualified quarterbacks. 28th in QB rating, 37th in yards per attempt, 32nd in just completion rate, 28th in big time throw rate. 38th in terms of worthy play rate. I dare one of you listeners to find me a single passing metric that paints Big Ben as even an average quarterback this year because for the life of me, I cannot find one. And oh yeah, the one good thing on offense that was popping for the Steelers was they're actually their offensive line. That made me double take. I was like, wait, we know their offensive line isn't great. Why is this happening? It's because they're actually the third best offense in pressure rate because Big Ben has a league low 2.26 average time, uh, seconds average time to throw, which has also resulted in him having a league high 62% short of the sticks. Like this is something we make fun of Jared Goff for actively and we have been for years Jared Goff is the second worst at 58% so all those mean things that you've said about Goff and think about Goff over the past two years Ben's been quite a bit worse than that uh, in this one so maybe he turns into something he hasn't been I'm not betting on that so we'll see the one good thing he's done on offense is get Deontay Johnson the ball Deontay has 12 I believe straight games with at least five receptions only Cooper Cup has the longer streak but Dwayne it's unfortunate man we never even saw like the big breakthrough game that I think we were hoping for for with Deontay. He was incredible this year, but like we were talking about this midseason, like, all right, we've been good here, but at one point, the br- true blow up's going to come. He never had a game with more than 105 yards, and it's a reason why I think in tournaments, I might be fine fading Deontay in favor of Chase Claypool. I mean, it really was wild, man. Deontay, an additional 63 targets in Claypool on the year, but Deontay had 14 catches of 20-plus yards. Claypool had 13, so he truly was right there. Yeah, the average target depth has something to do with that, but Claypool really has been their source of explosive plays just based on a you know more of a rate than a pure volume uh, standpoint, and I do think that he is a solid enough uh, GPP play this week. Ultimately, it might have to be the Najee game if he's if he's healthy, though. He wasn't able to practice on Wednesday with that elbow. We'll probably see a lot of Benny Snow otherwise, but that's the only like main weakness in the Chiefs uh run in the Chiefs defense overall. 27th in yards before carry. Yards before contact allowed per carry, 26 in PFF run defense, 28th in EPA per play. Overall, just one of only six defense with an average tackle depth of four and a half yards. But as we've seen with Najee, you know, he's great at forcing missed tackles, actually led the entire NFL in missed tackles this year. And he was ninth in missed tackles forced uh, per touch. So it wasn't a pure volume thing with that. But he doesn't quite have the full explosion juice to make the most out of a big hole here and there. And just again, with the Steelers offensive line not being a good run blocking group by any stretch of the imagination, Imagination. I'm not even sure if they're built to take away what the you know Chiefs defense is generally willing to give their opponents. So really, man, I, I just don't see a path to success for the Steelers here. Maybe they keep it close, but like for me, my I, I can't quantify why. My point is like, okay, the NFL is weird. We see crazy stuff happen every week. Maybe the Steelers make this one close. That's all I have, Dwayne. Yeah, I think that's really all you can point to. And it does happen, right? I mean, it we does. see it all the time. So, uh, and look, it's... It's a game where there's a lot of variance. You know, the turno- turnovers are, are huge, right? And they're not necessarily predictable. Um, yeah, certain things can help lead to turnover, but even there have been studies done around pressure rates and things like that, not necessarily correlating highly with turnovers. So like some things can be kind of random and that's, but that's what keeps fans excited, right? When you get a team <laughs> like, you know, the Steelers get into the game. I think the other big thing really is just that, you know, as good as Patrick Mahomes has been 
relative to the rest of the league. Like it's just been a crazy year for passing and he's just part of it, right? You know, um, NFL passing yards per game this year were at 244.1 per game, dipped below 250 for only the second time since 2007. The other time Sheesh. was 2013. The next year, offensive coordinators adapted in a big way and all of a sudden you saw way more play action. And then you saw the numbers jump back up again because before it had been really shotgun, not a lot of play action, spreading the ball around, defenses adapt, right? They catch up and you see things start to you know go down then the offense has to come back with a counter well right now what we're seeing passes short of the sticks hit an all-time high since 2007 when pff started tracking them 53.1 percent so like the league overall like as at an all-time high since we've been tracking this stat um so that created the largest dependency on yak you know in that span 47 percent of the yards have come from yak this season and so you got guys like mahomes a dots at an all-time low 8.2 for the nfl since 2007 they're having to figure out like how to handle these defenses what do they do differently and so while i know there was a lot of noise around mahomes um and there were a lot of you know concerns it's really going on with the whole league. And so everyone is having to adapt. Um, it does seem like Tom Brady has handled it better than most. It does seem like, you know, Joe Burrow's doing a pretty good job of it, but we don't know for sure because like the Bengals have really run more of a balanced attack until the last couple of weeks. But I do think it could be coming through, Ian, that we just, you know, the Chiefs need a third option. Like they need a legit third option outside of Tyree Kill, outside of Travis Kelsey. I think eventually with these coverages and things, it just really can eventually take its toll just on the big plays and on, you know, the ability to consistently, you know, create, you know, those chunk yardages. And so when you look at Mahomes, like this is a player that, you know, we were just so used to 300 yards is like nothing, like 300 yards is every game almost. It was inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Inevitable. Like, and you were thinking, yeah, 400, that's in the range of outcomes every <laughs> week for Mahomes. Well, this year, Patrick, Patrick Mahomes has hit 300 yards or more only five times in 17 God. games. Five times. Like, and he's had games of 166, 206, 184. I mean, those were like things that never happened. 184 and zero passing touchdowns. 260 <laughs> and zero passing touchdowns. 206 and zero passing touchdowns. Now, over the last few weeks, he's not hitting the big yardages, but he does seem to have adapted a bit. Now, some of this can go to the defenses you've played. 410 yards he did get in week 15, but the bigger thing are the touchdowns, right? He had three touchdown passes week 16, three touchdown passes week 17, two touchdown passes week 18, two touchdown passes. Whereas he had had spells before of zero, one, one, big, big blow up for five, then zero, zero, two. Think of that. You would have never thought Patrick Mahomes would have a spell of games and here are his touchdowns. Zero, one, one, five, zero, zero. Like you just would never think it, right? Dwayne, um, so, on the so real quick, on, we do our Sunday NFL show. We have Darius Butler on there, and we did a couple segments throughout the year. Dare I say, and we got to make kind of lofty, bold, uh, you know, guesses or predictions for the rest of the year. After that five touchdown game that I believe came against Philly in Week Four, we did a Dare I Say, and my Dare I Say was that Patrick Mahomes, because at that point he was on pace for it. I say he was going to throw for sixty touchdowns this year. So I think this is actually my fault. <laughs> Uh, for saying that in week five, because as soon as I said that, he fell off the exact cliff that you were just describing. Was that so on, has that been retweeted lately by social? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. If it's not, uh, it should be. Whatever. I'll, I'll take the punches. It's all good. <laughs> I know. You're, you're good at that. Um, so, yeah, the passing game. Look, we'll have to keep an eye on Hill, you know, as far as, you know, as far as his Hill injury goes. But, like, if he's out there and he's running full strength, 
Look, you guys are going to play Tyreek Hill. You don't need me to tell you that. Tell you what to do with him. You know to do that. Like he, here's the good thing with Hill. He can still win. He can win in multiple ways. Yeah, he can beat you with the deep plays, but he's also one of these players you can get the ball to in those underneath scenarios, short of the sticks, and you can let him work his magic with with you know the yak, you know the yak or rack, whichever one you want to call it, yardage, yards after the catch. Um, so he still comes through in those ways, but man, it's just, we got so used to, wow, Tyreek Hill, you know, he catches two bombs and then he just pads the stats with all those underneath throws, you know, just on top of, you know, the, the long touchdown plays. And we just haven't got to see as much of that. Having said all that, look, he's still going to clearly be inside, uh, you know, your top five ranks for the receivers this weekend. Um, you know, for me, if, if, if he's not practicing in full and he's limited, I'll probably fade him a little bit just because they're, you know, you got Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, and what you've got to use in salary on Hill if you're playing DFS. You know, I'm not as excited about doing that. Um, and, and the matchup's a 3.7 out of 10. But again, like all these matchups are pretty tough with the exception of a few. So it's not as helpful to talk about some of these numbers as it was in regular season. Wide receiver cornerback matchup is an 86.3, which is really healthy, you know, for um, a receiver in the playoffs. As far as Travis Kelsey goes, look, he's, he's Kelsey. Yes. He was knocked from the top spot this year um, by Mark Andrews. I do have him as number one heading into 2022. You know, he's 20, Mark Andrews is going to be 26 years old. Travis Kelsey is going to be 33 years old. I still have him in that same tier. I still like, like, Tight ends can play longer than, you know, some of the other positions. We see them Science. go longer. And so we'll have to keep an eye on Kelsey, you know, um, through the playoffs, see what he looks like. But, I mean, look, at this point, like, you're just – you're firing him up. You guys don't need me to tell you that. But tight end matchup, 62 uh, is the best on the slate for the weekend. Um, so that is – oh, the running game. Yeah, sorry. That's what happens with the Chiefs. You just forget their running game. <laughs> we wonder if they actually played – Put Tyreek a running back if he's healthy, man. I was just looking at this shit. 93 career carries, and Tyreek's at 7.7 yards per rush. I mean, we've seen him now 11 carries in 10 career playoff games. When I was really bored last offseason, Dwayne, I went through all these carries, and like they put him in the backfield before, particularly earlier in his career, and he looked absolutely fantastic because why wouldn't he with the ball in his hands like he's not as physical as Debo right. or anything but we know how fast he is so if these injuries like I know Tyreek's injured too but looking at the injury report Tyreek was practicing in full on Wednesday whereas Daryl and Clyde were limited man oh man Dwayne I want to see get Tyreek a couple carries I want to see Miko Hardman at running back and I want to see him get hit by TJ Watt well, okay, just final thought, and I'll throw it back to you. They were, when they played the Browns last year, it was like the first drive of the game. It was like fourth and one. And they just had a play where they motioned Miko, like jet motion across the formation going one way. And they had Tyreek lined up on the other side, and they end up giving him like in, an inverted veer, and like they give him the rush around the other end. So you had maybe the two fastest players in the NFL sprinting in completely opposite directions. And like the Browns actually played it perfect, but Tyreek still picked up three yards for the first down. Use both these crazy speedsters everywhere, man. That's the annoying part with me, Cole. Like, no, he's not the number three wide receiver that we were hoping he could be in this offense. But that speed still causes a lot of problems if you use it right. Yeah, if Mecole knew how to read defensive coverages and just really get on the same page with with Mahomes, like the speed is still enough. Like he could be a major problem. That's just where the inconsistency comes. Like one of the number one things you see when you watch the Chiefs film, besides just awesomeness from some of these guys, <laughs> is you see Patrick Mahomes just throwing both hands up every time Mecole runs around <laughs> and he targets him. Like it's like thirty percent of the time. I swear, I'm probably overstating it, but I I feel like it is just so often. Or like he's giving him the hand gesture like this. Like you cut in, you're 
supposed to cut out. I just got picked off. Post interception, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so as far as the backs go, look, we're probably going to be back to a two-way backfield split. You got both backs questionable um, coming into the week. Daryl Williams practiced in a limited fashion yesterday with a toe injury. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was limited with a shoulder injury. They think both of these guys will be back. It would be better, honestly, from a fantasy perspective, if you get word that just one of them is going to be out there. Neither of these guys have been good on the ground, despite the upgrades on the offensive line. Missed tackles forced by Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, 0.13. Daryl Williams, 0.07. Yuck. Uh, yards after contact, 2.39 for Edwards-Alaire on the season, 2.19 for Daryl Williams. Those are not good marks. Explosive runs, those are ten uh, carries of 10, yard, 10 yards or more, 8% for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 9% for Daryl Williams. I think this is one of the things I notice the most when I watch Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Ian, is like even when he gets a hole – and. Like he's he's a very elusive back. Like he's still like side to side. Like he's very elusive. But then once he makes his cut and he puts his foot in the ground and he goes, it's like man, he's always immediately getting drugged down from behind by someone. It's like he can't even get like an extra ten yards out of that. It's like five yards and like a defensive lineman catches him. Like it's just and I don't. It could be injury related. Who knows? Like this guy's been banged up really through the first two seasons of his career, so that could be holding him back some. But I think we're just really seeing that. Like, he's not an explosive playmaker. Dwayne, he had had 119 carries this year. What do you think his rushing long was? His long carry, man, I don't know, 22 yards? (laughs) 17. Come on, man. You couldn't couldn't even crack 20. 20. We're busting on Zeke's chops, and this guy like is a fresh young buck. Like, can't get. It's just, and again, it could be injury related. We, you know, we we're not trying to like hate on Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Like, we want these guys to be successful, but I think it's pretty clear at this point, man. Like, and this is a lesson for Dynasty, right? Think how many people took Clyde Edwards-Alaire over Jonathan Taylor just because of the landing Ooh. spot. And when you watch the two players, there was no doubt Jonathan Taylor was the better guy. Like, it wasn't close. So you got to be really careful, especially in Dynasty. And, you know, this is something you and I talked about on the recap last week, takeaways for the season, right? And one of the things is, you know, how do we find a way to lean more into talent and things like that? And right now it's just looking like Clyde Rizalera, nice player, but not really an explosive player. I think the most disappointing thing really for Rizalera with me, Ian, I thought he would be more involved in the passing game. I think that's why people liked him so much in Dynasty. They thought, wow, this guy was a good receiving back. Coming out of LSU, gives them an Andy Reid comped him to Brian Westbrook. Andy freaking Reid. I know. And so, who knows? Maybe that's still in the cards for him. But man, I'm not. I, I don't think so. Like his average depth of target is minus two point six. This is not a back they're getting downfield on angles and wheels and bullets. Like they're not using him on those route concepts. They are putting Daryl Williams into those routes. Daryl Williams is the one with an A dot above zero, which is what you want to look for for running backs to really figure out. Like, do coaches think they have receiving chops or not? If you see a back that's just had minus two A dot and he's got fifty receptions like it's very it could go away the next year right because basically he became a check down option if they add another option to the team that can actually add more value through their targets down the field it's at real risk of going away we've seen that in the past with guys like mark ingram and the saints are one of the best right at scheming up you know all of these different screens and all those things and andy reed used to be top notch at that as well back with philly with westbrook we're just not seeing it with Edwards alaire he's not getting to work down the field so that's my thing. Only a .72 yards per route run, which is a which isn't terrible. Like for a running back, right? Running backs aren't going to be up around a two. But Daryl Williams like beats him in all those. Like he beats him in all those marks. And guess what? The coaches are telling us this. We see it in the utilization when you see 
Clyde Edwards-Alaire, when he's been healthy over the last four games he's played, where he actually got to finish the game, which seems to be rare for the guy, he's had 52% of the rushing attempts, 64%, 37%, 50%. But his routes, 36%, 40%, 26%. He did have a 70%er in a game where they didn't face a lot of long down and distance in week 15 because he is out there on the early downs. But in long down and distance, he's never out there 8% of the long down and distance on the year. And it's not just because of injuries. His games, 10%, 13%, 25%. Two-minute offense, 35% this season. That all goes to Daryl Williams. So that's the problem for Eversolaire. We really thought the value would come through PPR. And I know this is more of a this week thing, not necessarily looking forward. And I kind of turned it into, hey, looking forward to 2022. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to, like, it's a problem for Eversolaire this week, too. Like, he's got a very thin path to value and it's early down work and a pass first offense that isn't scoring as many points final game everyone monday night football have they ever done this before Dwayne? monday night playoff game uh i think they have i think they have well they're doing it again this year either way (laughs) cardinals Cardinals at the rams rams four point favorites game total just down a tad to 49 and a half after opening at 50 i see what you did that's the old dude Hey, yeah, dinosaur! Like, has this ever happened? And <laughs> all your years on all your years on the planet, Dwayne, have you ever seen anything like this? So, all right, Cardinals—they need Kyler to be the freaking world beater that we saw for really the first chunk of the year before he got injured. Haven't seen it so much recently. Obviously, losing DeAndre Hopkins, huge part of that. But even then, man, on the season as a whole, number four in PFF passing grade, number one in big time throw rate, fourth in yards per attempt, fourth in turnover-worthy play rate. He, like, you be really hard pressed i think to leave him outside definitely not the top 10 and i mean honestly even top five top six quarterbacks in the nfl right now kyler has he's in that conversation these are just passing numbers we know that the dude's arguably the most electric runner in the league you know it's just he's a crazy talent that we have going here makes you wonder a little bit like with some of these guys like all right how much of this is cliff kingsbury how much of this is this once in a you know decade generation whatever the hell you want to call him quarterback that we now have for the arizona cardinals so kyler we know he's capable of putting the team on his back like a young greg Jennings, you know, doing whatever he needs to do. We just haven't seen it a ton recently. And I think we can attribute a lot of that to Hopkins because in this post-Hopkins offense, targets in this group, Ertz has 42, Christian Kirk has 32, A.J. Green 25, Antoine Wesley 19, Chase Edmonds 15, and James Conner 8. I mean, before the season... If we had to talk about, hopefully, Kyler's top two pass game options at this time, I'm pretty sure most people would have said DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore. Unfortunately, neither has been healthy enough to suit up. So we have Ertz, who is not washed. Like, he has been good this year, and, you know, I was wrong on that. So, you know, sitting here with the shape of an L (laughs) on my forehead, it is what it is. Ertz has been playing well coming back. I don't think in the year 2021, though, any offense necessarily wants Ertz to be your number one pass game option. That's the problem. If he was your three or four, great. Sign me up, not when he's your number one. So I do think Christian Kirk is probably going to be need to be the key that unlocks the better version of this offense, particularly against the Rams, who ranked 10th in yards per attempt to wide receivers lined up out wide. 24th, though, in the slot. 22nd against inline players. So it kind of sets up well, actually, for Kyler to continue feeding the ball to Ertz and to Kirk because that is where you want to attack this defense. 
I know you, you would think that like, why do we want to attack any secondary with Jalen Ramsey? He should just be chilling and not on any, any, any individual receiver though this week. And if you look at him as a whole, this defense, 20th in yards per attempt, 15th in PFF coverage grade. Jalen Ramsey is incredible. I, he's my pick for best cornerback alive right now, but he's only shadowed Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, DK Metcalf, and Justin Jefferson over the past two seasons. I don't think Christian Kirk, AJ Green, or Wesley are going to get that treatment. So sign me up for early and Kirk everywhere you're playing fantasy and don't sleep on Wesley as well I mean you look at I was looking at the DraftKings pricing before this episode and Wesley is like 500 bucks cheaper than Rondale Moore even though Wesley actually starts and you know even when Rondale was healthy he still still uses nothing more than a gadget so really disappointing usage uh, from Rondale it's amazing like Dwayne how could we have possibly seen this coming has Cliff Kingsbury ever like not used a second round wide receiver right before just uh, something for those scholars out there to keep in mind so Biggest uh, thing I think the Cardinals want to avoid leads us Let's right to the running backs. Kingsbury's calling card: using second round wide receivers right and making game time decisions. Oh my god! <laughs> And how about like all these injuries? It's like, oh, like is Andy Isabella actually going to like be forced to play now? No, we'll go grab that Texas Tech receiver I had a couple years ago and uh, see what happens there. My goodness. But yeah, I just, we'll see about Edmonds, Connor. Edmonds didn't practice at all last week. Connor played, but earlier in the year when Edmonds was out, Connor was getting a legit 80, 90% snap roll week in and week out and dominating usage. Last week, we more or less saw, you know, Benjamin step into that Chase Edmonds role. So really keep an eye on Connor because if he's not really practicing in full throughout the week, then I do think Eno is going to end up playing that Chase Edmonds role again. And if, you know, game script is at all, is if the spread of the, the Rams being four-point favorites is at all indicative of what the game script could be, uh, we could end up seeing Eno be pushing for something close uh, to half the snaps out there. So Rams' biggest strength is their run defense, which makes sense. They're number one in PFF run defense grade. Aaron Donald has been PFF's highest graded defender in every season since 2016. So, you know, that that's another argument I kind of saw against him for a defensive player of the year. It was like, yeah, this wasn't one of his best seasons. He had a higher uh, PFF grade in 2020 and 2018 and 2017. But even the lesser version of Aaron Donald is still better than almost everyone out there. It's like what Aaron Rodgers said on McAfee last year. He's like, my down years are career years for a lot of guys. I think that's also the case with Aaron Donald. So, man, James Conner, he's someone that unless you're really just trying to be contrarian to do it, not someone I'm really going to be getting behind. I would, wouldn't be surprised at all if Kyler leans on his legs more than ever. You know, as as Brett Mersberger uh, once said during the Bourbon Bowl last game of the year, can't hold anything back now. So I think uh, Connor could end up being the odd man out, particularly with him not working at 100%. So great year from Connor. The dude had 18 touchdowns in 15 games. I'm not saying you can't get in there, but I'm honestly treating him a little bit more kind of like how you were describing Zeke uh, in this spot, Dwayne. It just seems like a game where I'm expecting them to probably have to throw the ball more times than not. And when we have the potential for an Eno or a Chase, if he's healthy enough to suit up, I think the game script might actually suit them better. Yeah, for, now just the, real quick yeah. on that. Like the only problem, right, is anytime, even though we did see Eno carve out a little bit of a role last week, it's like anytime we've had Chase Edmonds out, like it's just, man, here, here are Connors finishes 17, 7, 12, 2, 1. <laughs> so you got a one, know, two, and a one. That was before his injury, though. Yeah, but he played through the injury last week. Like he had the what happened? Injury. Eno he, was out there more. Well, right, I get it. But still, I mean, when you look at James Conner's role, it was still healthy enough. Like Eno yeah. didn't have the full-on Chase Edmonds role. He had a smaller version of it. So, I mean, I it, it it's not the greatest matchup 
you know, obviously um, the Rams are pretty good, like against the run, but we did see Connor come through in a big way on a Monday night game here recently, you know, against the Rams. So I don't know. I like he, if, if I hear the Chase Edmonds is out, I'm going to have James, I'll, I'll be moving James Connor up. I have a number nine right now, just because like, we don't have a lot of information because it's a Monday night game. Um, but if I hear that Edmonds is out, like he'll be in my top five. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Where's Zeke six? You said, no, I got Zeke at 10. Zeke at 10. Because Connor's actually making plays. Like, Zeke's not. <laughs> you know, um, that's really the difference. I, I mean, I definitely want Najee, Mixon, Fournette, Singletary, Mitchell. I could see putting Connor at six, especially if Edmonds out. Here are the guys I would put above Connor. Fournette, Mixon, Singletary, Mitchell. Like, but I'm going to have Connor above Najee, above Damian Harris, above Josh Jacobs. Just the, the Steelers offense is just so apt to put out a complete turd. Like that's yeah, just what kills Najee's, Najee. Najee's banged up too. I'm yeah. saying RB6, give me two or three drinks. I'll probably move him <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll have some drinks and we'll work on it. Sounds good. All right, so now over to the Rams. Obviously, Cooper Cup, it's his world. We're all just living in it. But, Dwayne, we do have some interesting uh, you know, notes here about kind of their uh, complimentary wide receivers, which we talked a little bit about on the Week 18 recap pod. And also with this running back room where, hey, last week it was still a Sony Michelle show, but we do now have Cam Akers back in the picture. And, hey, maybe just maybe Daryl Henderson coming back from IR as well. Yeah, don't forget Tyler Higby season finally is upon us, Ian. <laughs> Let's go. All, only took till week 18. There we only go. Only took until By the way, 18. oh my gosh. All right. Ty- <laughs> well, hold on. Dwayne, do you want to guess uh, James Conner's status ahead of Monday Night Football? It just came oh, It'll be a game time decision. He's a game time decision with a rib injury. So that's <laughs> yeah. just fantastic. No, that's got to be Chase Edmonds with a rib injury. No, this is Conner. It's a new injury, I think. Really? Okay, well that's that's news. I haven't seen that. So he, he, it was the Hill that had him as a DNP until uh, late in the week last week. So we'll have to we'll have to take a look at it. So let's start with the passing game here. We'll start you know with Matt Stafford, um, you know against the Arizona defense. Um, Arizona actually over the last six games has given up twenty two points, uh, two quarterbacks um, in uh, fantasy points per game. So which is actually the second most like on this slate twenty two point six. Um, is the actual number one, and that's Kansas City. Um, you know, obviously, we're not going to use ben, ben, Big Ben. So, but Stafford, you know, with him, like it's just kind of uh, it's 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 really a tell of like two seasons, maybe a little over half the season, and then the second half of the season. But just over the last few weeks, like if you look early on, like, and I know this, I know we can kind of, when you're looking at this stuff, you can kind of use an arbitrary cutoff. And, you know, it's there's no real science behind the cutoff, but other than just looking at the numbers, right? And so, if you got want to look at games where he had at least right at 280 as far as passing yards over the first half of the season, Ian. So through week 14, he had uh, 10 of those games. So he had 321, 278, 343, 280, 365. Then he had a 251, but four touchdowns. Then he had a 334, 305, 294. Then he really had his first true dud, which was a 243-yard passing game with only one passing touchdown. But then he came back with a 302, 295, 287, three touchdowns on all those. But over the last four weeks, like Stafford really has kind of taken a step back. It's 244 with two touchdowns, 197 with one, and three picks. And then he had a nice one with 309 and two touchdowns, but two picks. Then last week, 238, three touchdowns, two picks. So he's still coming through with the touchdowns, but he's just not hitting the yardage the way that he was early in the season. And the thing that I noticed the most when I watched Stafford, every time they go to this play action where he then kind of rolls to one side or the other, and a lot of times he'll throw it back across to the opposite hash, 
He doesn't care. He's throwing that ball. He's not <laughs> reading the defense. He's not. He doesn't care. He's going to throw it. If it's double covered, if it's triple covered, it doesn't matter. And I think those things have caught up with the Rams. That's the thing I'm noticing the most over the last few weeks is on those plays earlier in the season where teams were totally getting sucked down with the play action and he was getting a single or they were getting in behind the coverage they're not as much now and he's still forcing the ball in and that's just creating these turnovers it's also taking away a potential 50-yard chunk play you throw a 50-yard chunk play on top of all the numbers i just gave you all of a sudden right he's back at like 260 280 every single week so that seems to be the biggest difference and so whenever we look at the game i think defenses have just they're basically telling stafford like you're gonna have to adapt like you're gonna have to change like we know what we know where your big plays are coming from we know what it is that you want to do and we're gonna take that away and he just hasn't yet he's going through what Mahomes had to go and not to compare them and say they're the same player so don't like at me with this but it's just schematically speaking right and what he's reading when he drops back like other quarterbacks have already adapted to that because they've had it taken away it's like he's just now getting there Dwayne, um, so, I can't believe that you think Patrick Mahomes and Matthew Stafford are the same person. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, I t- actually, I think they're, they're the same and Stafford's really better. Like, I'm hoping that Sergio <laughs> will take that and put that. That way I could lose all my Twitter followers in one day. That's my goal is to do it. Just like, you know, just rip the Band-Aid off. Like, all 30,000, just go away. Get uh, back to zero. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have negative followers. You're like, Dwayne, how are you at minus 4,000 followers? Like, I don't even know. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing I'm thinking. If Stafford would could take the check down and his check downs aren't necessarily like, you know, Hey, you got to drop down from 50 yards to a five yard. Like typically he's got an underneath crosser going under the, under that. Then he's got something closer to the line of scrimmage. And I've noticed over the last few games, like he's just not, he's not seeing the plays are still there. He's just choosing to really stick to what his pre-read was um, before the snap. And I think that's problematic for him. And look in the playoffs, like against these defenses, um, and not that the Cardinals are great, but they're pretty good on defense. Like they're just not going to let you do that. And so I think that's that's something that worries me with Stafford. That also is a problem for Van Jefferson because that's really where a lot of his plays have come from. Uh, Beckham Jr. gets a lot of those plays as well. He still managed to come through with a few of those over the last few weeks. Um, but with Jefferson, now we've got him running less routes, even though last week he was able to work his way back up to almost 80%. We had seen him for a period of time where he was up, 100% and the high 90% every week. And over the last two weeks, we've seen 49% and 79%. So it's almost like they're also trying to potentially adapt the offense and they're thinking, okay, teams are on to this. What are we going to do? And that's gotten Ian's favorite player of the season, Bennett Skoranek on the field <laughs> for more snaps the last Got couple last. of games. But like, if you're looking for a pump plan DFS, I think you can still use Jefferson. I think he still is going to, you know, he's going to work deeper down the field. You just got to realize that teams are actively taking that play away right now. And so that's going to hurt Jefferson. It's going to hurt Beckham. Doesn't matter as much for cup. Obviously like, you know, they need to be able to stretch the field to open things up underneath for cup. So it could eventually impact him. It's just cups are so good at reading coverages and he and he and Matt Stafford, like they're still, I guess they're still doing breakfast together i don't know we haven't heard believe so (laughs) apparently Uh, but notice like that's the shift man so what's happening is that's where tyler higby is now getting more involved as these teams are taking that away on the plays where stafford hasn't been so bullheaded about pushing the ball down the field it's equaled more work for tyler higby and we talk about this all the time on this show ian if you now we try to help out teams like that's part of pfs business model right we sell this data to all the teams to help them with their scouting but they're still coaches are going to coach and they're going to watch film right and typically if you're grinding film if you talk to these coaches if you talk to scouts 
and you listen to how like their process typically works, like typically they're watching the last four games. They might go back and grab a game where they played them before. Um, there may be certain teams that run schemes similar to them. They go grab the tape from that. But for the most part, like they're looking at the last four games. So when you see certain players showing up over and over and you're like, wow, Beckham and Jefferson, like, great. We're going to have to give up Cup. He's going to, it's going to be tough to take him away. He's in the slot, but we got to stop the big plays to Jefferson and Beckham. Like, because that's really where Stafford's like, you know, you know, buttering his bread, you know, what are we going to do? All right, let's take that away. Well, then that means something else comes open. And so finally, Tyler Higby is his, like Tyler Higby kind of broke my model of the 80%, you know, routes and the, and the almost 20% targets per route run on a good offense. Like he broke it um, this season. One of very, well, he'll be in an article this season. One of the very few guys that have been able to hit those metrics and then still not come through with a top 12 fantasy finish, much less like typically that's a top six finish. So nothing is foolproof. Like we say, Ian, no one metric works. I was trying to combine metrics to get there, but even that doesn't always work. But Higby is seeing more targets over the last few games. His targets per route run 19%, 29%, 19%, and his routes are still very healthy, 84%, 89%, and 84%. So going into this week, unless teams change, which I don't think they will, Ian, I think teams now see like they'd much rather give up a shot, a, a play to Tyler Higby than the big shot down the field to Beckham or the big shot down the field to Van Jefferson. So I think if I'm stacking two players with Stafford this weekend, it's probably Cup and Higby if I want to go that route in a DFS lineup. Um, as far as the running game goes... Um, Hold on real quick, just yeah, to yeah, quantify ahead, what you were talking about with uh, the downfield passing attacks. Like Stafford really has lost his fastball yeah. at that. Four, four of the first seven games of the year, he had at least three completions with 20 air yards uh, downfield. Since then, he's only had two such games. He's thrown five picks over the last four weeks when he's been throwing the ball at least 20 yards downfield. Only had two interceptions on those passes, weeks one through 14 combined. And this is not like... For all, you know, everyone out there just waiting for a way to, you know, put OBJ and pin these problems on him. These did not correlate <laughs> to OBJ getting on the field. I don't think it was Beckham's fault. He was open last week and Stafford underthrew him. But yes, it really has been a different version of this Rams offense without the ability for Stafford to show off that howitzer he has for a right arm. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, it again, it's hitting the whole league. It just now really got to Stafford, you know, <laughs> over the last few games. So it's there. And then the Rams, you know, even though they throw the ball like above average, like in all uh, you know scripts, if you look at them over the last, since week 12, like they're plus 3% passing or, or dropping back to pass when they're trailing by four or more points, plus 5% uh, when it's within three points. And they're plus 5% when leading by four or more points. Earlier in the season, that was zero plus six and plus one. So they've really shifted more to the pass over the last several games. And I think some of that ties over to what we're talking about now, which are really the running backs. And while Sony Michelle has definitely earned an every down role for right now, Ian, like he's just not been that great. He's gotten a little more involved in the passing game over the last couple of last three weeks, which is nice. 11% of the targets, 14% of the targets, 10% of the targets. Again, part of like what of the trickle down effect of the way defenses are now trying to play the Rams are more tar targets to, you know, Sonny Michelle. He's much more of a check down option in the passing game than what we've seen out of Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson works more down the field, just like what we were talking about with Daryl Williams. I guess if your name is Daryl, you get to work down the field. 
If it's not, you don't. Um, but Sonny Michelle, much more of just, hey, let me run out here, take a little swing pass. But he just hasn't been super explosive, you know, on his carries. Carries a high stuff rate right now of 13% of his plays are getting tackled at the line or behind the line of scrimmage. Um, yards after contact, they're they're okay, but they're not like anything you write home about. 2.87 is solid. Like that that's above average or right at average. Um, but he's just not doing anything special to make the defense really, you know, have to be concerned about him. He's also not doing enough just from a standpoint of making the plays, you know, for us to get super excited in fantasy. But as we always say, you do follow the volume. And over the last three games, snaps 90%, 100%, 80%, rushing attempts 84%, 90%, 78%, routes 74, 84, 74. Those are all percentages. Um, so from that standpoint, he's out there it's getting the short down and distance work, getting the long down and distance work, getting a two minute offense. We did, to your point earlier, we saw Akers get back into this, uh, into the fold a little bit. 20% of the snaps last week, 19% of the rushing attempts, 21% of the routes. Um, he saw a little bit of work in the two minute offense. So I think what we could see if Akers' role expands, Ian, and I think it could if they think his health is fine because Michelle hasn't really looked that great. Um, the interesting thing is they were really using acres across the board and all of the diff- all of the different situations. So it wasn't like they just tried to peg him into, you know, acres, you're going to be the short down a distance or acres. You're just going to be this or that. He really kind of spelled Michelle like one out of five drives. And when he was on the field for that drive, he did everything. He didn't have to come off of the field and give way back to Sony Michelle. So something to keep an eye on. We could see that turn into more of a split. I know a lot of folks use a lot of, uh, uh, no, I wouldn't say a lot of capital, but in a lot of these playoff, you know, contests, Sony Michelle gets jammed in a lot. And a lot of that's just because, you know, if you're over on, um, you know, if you're over on underdog, like the one, one pick is Cooper cup. So when people come back, they basically force Ram stacks. So there's a lot of Sony Michelle out there. So I know there's a lot of people that are going to be paying a lot of attention to what this cam Akers do. You won't have Daryl Henderson next week, but he will be eligible to return the following week. And okay. we could see more of a three-way split. Some more news, Dwayne. Uh, do you want to guess Chase Edmonds' status for Monday? Uh, let's see. Is it does it start with a G? Does the first letter of the first word start with G? First game letter, time decision word, once again. But Chase said that he's very confident that he's going to play, and he got fined after that by Cliff Kingsbury. That's you got to read that in the notes. He had to go sit in the shed. <laughs> He's not going to get benched. Uh, All right, everyone. That's going to wrap up this eventful episode of uh, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, apologies that we're out a little bit later than usual. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I pride myself on, you know, I've done this podcast all over the country, hotel rooms here, you know, this thing there. I could barely talk with my voice gone for an episode of the summer, but, you know, live water flying into my apartment is where I have to, unfortunately, draw the line. So, Dwayne, you have continued to troop on throughout this week. You got tons of work the folks can check out on pff.com. Let the folks know what you're prepared for them. Yeah, I released my first version of the 2022 ranks yesterday, uh, already blowing up Twitter this morning because, uh, spoiler, there's a 28-year-old injury with a heavy workload um, this, this dealing with a foot injury that I don't have inside my top five. Um, there's also a very young running back that's going to be 22 years old that's probably going to have an every down role now that we've got a free agency uh, situation going on with the other back that he's been sharing with. So you guys can probably already know who those two players are. But uh, my first draft of those ranks is out. And then tomorrow you will have my rankings for the week. I am writing those up today. Ooh. And we'll have them out. So all you folks doing DFS or if you're just trying to make finalize your lineups, you know, you're looking at the first round trying to figure out, hey, I want to go with Tennessee and Green Bay stacks in my 
in my underdog team and I got to figure out what five players do I draft just to get me through the first round this week so that I can maybe have this different lineup, I'll have you covered. Make sure you check those out. Plan moving forward for the playoffs on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast as Dwayne and I will be talking Monday or Tuesday, going over some of the key usage stuff from the games and then looking more bigger picture. Next week, we'll be diving into Dwayne's ranks that he just referenced on Wednesday or in case you know we have another rain delay or Thursday, we'll have the game previews out uh, for the look ahead games. Uh, the DFS pod, we're going to treat it a little bit different. Uh, Dwayne will be here some weeks, uh, not this one, but Andrew and myself, you know, I know there's a lot of different slates people are doing so if you haven't been listening to dfs pod a lot this year just know we're going to take a little bit more of a macro approach uh, and be talking more about situations as opposed to you know quite as strict pricing on the main slate like we did throughout the season and plenty of player prop goodness and then friday whole gang will be together to break down some injuries ahead of the weekend so appreciate you guys listening as always for Dwayne, i'm ian until next time take care everybody